the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710-KNUS. Great to have you along for the ride once again today. We will, in just a bit, tackle what happened last night. Another debate, and they keep getting smaller. There's like one or two fewer people on that stage with each debate as they happen. In particular, we had four candidates last night, and there were some sparks that flew as Donald Trump stayed away from the debate stage. We will get to that coming up in a bit. Who did you think won the debate? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number when we open up the lines. You can also go to the 710KNUS app on your smartphone and text in to the program. Name in town, name in town, if you wish to text in, please. And of course, a couple ways to email yours truly, 24-7, 365. One, log on to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. That's, of course, the show Saturday morning, 6 to 9, here on 710 KNUS. If you go to the KNUS website or log on to my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So right now, over in Dubai and the United Arab Emirates, there is a climate change conference that is happening. We had some audio from the United Nations conference that is being held in Dubai right now, known as COP28. It's the 28th such conference. And we did play a little audio earlier this week of John Kerry, the U.S. climate czar, who he's got some very strong language as he pushes policies that just go uh, a little, maybe a lot too far. The scientists are saying this moment is alarming. It's without precedent. It is terrifying, some have said. And others will say we are in uncharted territory. So that is why it is critical that we include all greenhouse gases in the next round of the nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, that will be finalized by 2025. And I'm really heartened, we're all encouraged, that China, President Xi and Xi Jinping's work and his Ooh. team committed to do this in Sunnyland. China committing. Oh, China. But there's some alarmism going on there. But at the same time... There is an issue. Environmental protection, climate change, legitimate concerns. Human beings have some impact that is going on vis-a-vis the climate and on Mother Nature. And we're here in Colorado. We love the environment, and we want to make sure that it is in the best shape possible. Now, 
contrary to those who think, okay, we need all sorts of grandiose big government schemes, you need outlandish proposals, there's a much more sensible way to go about this. And not only that, there are sensible ways to go about this that are appealing to, believe it or not, young people, particularly college-age young people in their late teens, early 20s. And there's a tremendous organization that I've been talking to for a handful of years now that's doing great work in that regard. And in fact, most of their leadership is over in Dubai right now at the COP28 conference. We're pleased to have this afternoon joining us now the vice president of communications for the American Conservation Coalition, Carly Matthews, here on the program. Good afternoon, Carly. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me back, Jimmy. Thanks for coming on. It's always good to talk with you and the fine folks at ACC. Before we dive into the conference at Dubai, I really want you to just share with our listeners what ACC is about and how your unique approach is making a difference, especially as you reach young people on issues like climate change. Absolutely. Well, it's my favorite topic to talk about. Um, ACC was founded six years ago to build and mobilize the conservative environmental movement. And since then, um, we've really pushed kind of common sense, actionable policy um, that we believe everyone, regardless of if you're conservative or left of center, can really get behind to protect our planet, but also bolster our economy and make sure we're maintaining our quality of life um, here in the United States, but also abroad. Um, so we focus on innovation, not regulation. Um, we focus on policies that um, will stand the test of time and not just kind of flip-flop um, depending on who's sitting in the White House. Um, and we've had a lot of success protecting our national parks, um, expanding nuclear energy, um, streamlining permitting processes to build clean energy faster. Um, and all of these things are um, really kind of motivating to our young conservative base who want to see our environment protected, want to reduce emissions, um, but also want to do so in a way that, you know, doesn't involve giving up eating meat or, um, you know, giving up their, their car. One example of some success, you guys helped work on the Great American Outdoors Act uh, from a few years back when we had, I miss him, Senator Cory Gardner Colorado was one of the main guys who really helped to spearhead the Great American Outdoors Act for the National Park Service. So that's just one example of kind of moving and shaking in terms of legislation. We've got more that we'll talk about in a moment regarding nuclear. But I want to ask you, what is ACC's perspective on the issue of climate change? Because I hear a lot of chatter from the likes of a John Kerry that seems so doom and gloom, end of the world. I definitely acknowledge this as an issue. Human beings have a role that we're playing in that. But a lot of this chatter not only turns people like me off, but a lot of people, folks who are listening, how does ACC approach that issue? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's something that we've really had to grapple with as an organization because we believe climate change is happening. We believe that humans and industrial activity have played a role in rising global temperatures, but we also have kind of an optimistic, hopeful view here. Um, you know, the United States put a man on the moon, and I'm talking to you from Washington, D.C. to Denver, Colorado through, you know, a block of technology. Um, so we've overcome a lot of really big challenges in our country's history, we believe we can overcome climate change as well. Um, and again, I talked about kind of this idea of innovation over regulation and kind of letting American ingenuity 
more or less run wild, right, to create the technologies of the future that will reduce emissions, but also provide us with affordable and reliable energy for the future. Um, a lot of folks, perhaps including John Kerry, will talk about how we need to reduce our energy use or do less to combat climate change. Um, and it, at ACC, we really believe in this idea of abundance and producing more energy and cleaner energy and more reliable energy. So um, that's kind of our perspective on the issue. Um, and we really try to take this this optimistic, happy warrior um, sort of perspective on it. We're talking with Carly Matthews, who is VP of Communications for the American Conservation Coalition. Um, let's talk about an example of the kind of innovative technology and energy that we need more of, and that would be nuclear power. It's heavily expensive. There are a lot of special interests that are opposed to nuclear power. But if you're somebody who's talking about clean energy and how to reduce emissions and how to garner a lot more of that energy that we need to meet growing demands across the United States and, frankly, across the globe, nuclear has to be a big part of the conversation, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think that if you're not talking about nuclear energy, but you're concerned about climate change, you're missing a really big piece of the solution. Um, and this isn't to say that we don't also need wind and solar power. I'm very pro wind and solar. I'm pro all of the above. Um, but the fact is nuclear is a baseload energy source that runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week to produce clean, reliable energy. You talked a little bit about the cost, which is definitely kind of one of the bigger challenges when it comes to nuclear power. Um, but what we see a lot of times is the government is actually creating a lot of those costs. And to start a nuclear power plant, um, companies have to go through decades of regulatory process review um, that adds millions and millions of dollars of cost. Um, and, and that is what's kind of inflating the cost of nuclear. It is a more expensive energy source to produce, but we're also seeing that it's becoming even more expensive due to government barriers. So something that ACC Action, which is our kind of advocacy arm, has been doing um, over the past couple months is advocating for a piece of legislation that would essentially lower the barriers to producing more nuclear energy to get more projects online um, and ensure that this next generation technology can really take us into a cleaner future. Yeah, that that regulatory piece is so critical so often. And this actually is the case for wind and solar is that it's actually the regulatory red tape that gets in the way all too often. It's government that's actually stepping in saying, we know what's best, and that means we have to make you jump through all of these very expensive hoops. And the great irony is for those, especially young people who are in college who are so concerned about issues like climate change and reducing emissions, if the government's getting in the way of these technologies, then it's going to be more difficult to achieve the goals that they would like to achieve, or so they say. Right. And I think something that we often forget is really government regulation exists to protect the status quo. And the status quo is fossil fuels, right? So if we break down the different projects that are getting held up by um, kind of onerous permitting regulations, most of them are clean energy because fossil fuel companies have kind of figured out the process, right? But these newer clean energy companies are running into more and more roadblocks because they're not the status quo yet. Um, and again, I'm for all of the above. I think fossil fuels certainly have a place in our energy mix right now. We need affordable and reliable energy, but we also need to be working toward a cleaner future. Um, and we, 
frankly cannot do that with the current regulatory um, system we have in place. Carly Matthews, when we look at this conference in Dubai, you have all of these world leaders that are coming there for the conference. you got different perspectives that are being shared and so forth. What is the American Conservation Coalition doing with your leadership there in Dubai? What's the purpose of having an ACC presence at this global conference? That's a great question, right? Because it is a conference where kind of the left of center globally has dominated um, basically since its inception. But I think it's so important to have conservative voices on the ground there to advocate for this innovative approach, to advocate for markets over regulation, um, and to advocate for these common sense ideas that aren't being heard, right? If we're not at the table, we can't complain about the results that those at the table come to. Um, We have to really kind of make our voices heard, um, push our perspective forward and ensure that, um, you know, we are, we're championing our ideas in the best way that we can. And I think that's, that's kind of the bottom line of why ACC is at COP28 and why we attended COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, and COP26 in Glasgow. It seems to be the same reason why you even exist and have a presence on college campuses, because As you pointed out, Carly, you don't have this kind of voice that actually there are free market solutions that are about innovation and unleashing innovation as opposed to having a top-down government-knows-best attitude. You don't get that perspective on college campuses. You don't get it throughout most of the media. You don't get it at a place like COP28 in this conference in Dubai. And so what kind of response do you guys get wherever you are when you have those conversations, hey, there's a different way. What do you think about this? What is the reaction? Is there sort of an amazement like, wait, that's a thing? Yeah, I think a lot of times students who maybe lean a little bit more right or kind of delusioned with um, with kind of the state of the environmental movement, they're really excited, frankly, that we exist. I mean, sure, like everything, we get some pushback from both the the left and the further right but i think a lot of people are just happy that more and more people with different perspectives are engaging on this issue right because not everyone who cares about climate change thinks of the exact same way um in your opening you talked about being from colorado and caring so much about all the natural spaces around you that makes you an environmentalist right um someone from new york city who grew up going to you know sierra club meetings might also identify as an environmentalist But those are very different perspectives. And ACC exists to ensure that this kind of more conservative, conservationist, um, you know, kind of um, kind of environmentalist is represented in the larger environmental movement. And I think largely people are happy that that's happening. Just a couple more minutes with our guest, Carly Matthews, vice president of communications at the American Conservation Coalition. I've seen. All this data about Generation Z, for example, from one 10-country study in the Lancet 2021, 84% of Generation Z say they're worried about climate change, with more than half saying that it makes them feel afraid, sad, anxious, angry, powerless, and helpless. And it even discourages 40% of them from wanting to have children of their own. To me, this is that alarmist side of the equation and the doom or 
you know, the, the, the doomsday scenario and they, we need government to step in and control all these things. Otherwise, the world is going to end. So be fearful. And it deeply concerns me that you have a generation of young people, so many that have that kind of view, as opposed to, say, the one that I feel at least is exuded from the American Conservation Coalition, where you guys are more optimistic. Look, we have an innovative opportunity here. Let's take advantage of it and make something happen. How do you assess that with Gen Z and the kind of work that you're doing versus the attitude I just described? You're exactly right about that attitude. And it's something that's really personal to me because I feel like we're creating this generation of young people that is just completely hopeless with the future that they're faced with. Um, and I just find that to be such a an opportunity lost. Um, you know, these young people should be our future nuclear engineers, should be our future scientists, should be, um, you know, kind of the, the future leaders of this country pushing us forward toward a better future. Um, and right now we're in a place where they feel like they can't build the future, literally not wanting to have children you know, what's the point of fighting for a better future if, if you don't want to kind of have that next generation of the human race? Um, so something that we really talk about at ACC, and I already touched on a little bit in our conversation, is being optimistic and looking at climate change as, yes, it's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. Um, and there are so many different ways you can get involved with this work. Um, just a few weeks ago, early November, we had Miss America on Capitol Hill advocating for nuclear energy. Um, and that's just one example of how um, some people in my generation are really kind of owning their voice and doing something productive. So even though there's kind of this attitude of hopelessness, um, I don't think there's an attitude of apathy. And I think we just need to kind of activate um, those concerns and really make people think that they can make a change. Uh, as a millennial who didn't have an organization like ACC around when I was coming up, uh, I'm always pleased to see you guys do the work that you're doing. For folks who are just learning about you for the first time, where can they go to learn more about what uh, the American Conservation Coalition does to support you or however? Sure. So you can find us online at acc.eco um, and then on Twitter and Instagram at acc underscore national. Um, and then, you know, you can drop me a line. My email is Carly, K-A-R-L-Y, at acc.eco, um, and we'd love to get you involved in the movement that we have going. The American Conservation Coalition, by the way, has a presence on some college campuses here in Colorado, which is a very encouraging sign to be sure. Carly Matthews, VP of Communications for the American Conservation Coalition. Always great to converse with you guys. Keep up the good work, and uh, I hope all goes well in Dubai with your folks there. Thanks, Jimmy. Have a good night. Thank you. You as well. Once again, Carly Matthews joining us. It is an encouraging organization, one that is doing great work from a perspective that you often don't hear about. So we have this idea that if you have a concern about climate change, you have a concern about the environment, and especially if you're younger, then that means you're going to be a leftist. But that's not true. And ACC proves otherwise. And I love that they use conservation. You know, Teddy Roosevelt was a conservationist. That's the term that he used 100 plus years ago. So when we Look at this issue, be encouraged that there's an organization like ACC out there and that they're having a presence over in Dubai, I think, is 
uh, that's great. Great to know that it's at least um, something that, uh, that that there's a an entity of any kind out there adding into the conversation something different than the kind of histrionics and so forth that we see and hear from the likes of John Kerry, who insists that his approach is not about politics. If we can't hear Mother Nature and can't judge with our own eyes what the science is telling us, this is not about politics, there's no ideology, there's no pejorative against any one business or any approach. There is simply mathematics and physics and some chemistry and biology. That is what we are acting on. It's just mathematics and physics and a a little bit, a little bit of of chemistry and and biology, never mind the fact that, you know, I learned about molecules like CO2 and H2O and the rest in chemistry. How do you combine molecules and all of that? That's chemistry. A little more chemistry than he seems to acknowledge. What are your thoughts on this? Feel free to give a call. We'll also shift into the debate last night. I've got some thoughts. What are yours? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You can also text it in the show on the 710K and US app on your smartphone. Name and town, name and town, if you wish to text in. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710K and US. Coming back, Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. Thanks for joining us. My thanks again, Carly Matthews from the American Conservation Coalition. Yes, there's a Gen Z organization focused on the environment that is not hysterical, that is not full of histrionics, that is not alarmist, but is more realistic, more practical, level-headed, focused on optimism and innovation versus government regulation and a depressive attitude Like far too many in Generation Z, definitely tremendous work that they do. ACC.eco is the website if you want to check them out a little bit more. There was an interesting little bit, by the way, from an oil CEO in the United Arab Emirates who actually is chairing, apparently, this climate change conference in Dubai. And I just wanted to squeeze this in because he's injecting a little bit of logic into some conversation. There is no science uh, out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5. 1.5 is my North Star. Please help me, show me a roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuel that will allow, that will allow for socio, for sustainable socioeconomic development. Unless you want to take the world back into caves. Yes. You bring the world back into caves if you get rid of the fossil fuels. There's no way to make this happen. And yet the elites in the developed world can get together at a big conference, a global United Nations conference, and say, oh, we need to enforce this massive, massive scheme of government that will make energy unaffordable for probably the most the vast majority of the world's population just plain wrong but that's the attitude of these elites gathered together for this conference in Dubai now you had the presidential debate last night 
four candidates squared off. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley in that top tier, my guess is they're going to be the only two that will be in the next debate because Trump probably won't show up. And Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy, the other two candidates, almost certainly will not meet the new debate criteria. And I say thank God for that, in particular for Vivek Ramaswamy. The guy is a real piece of work. I'll just... I'll just say that. But there was an exchange, among other exchanges, between Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump's fitness for office. And it was interesting. Here's a little taste of that. The question was very direct. Is he fit to be president or isn't he? The rest of the speech is interesting, but completely non-responsive. And if we were in a courtroom, they'd strike the answer and say... Governor DeSantis. No, they would. They would say that. You're a smart man. No, they would. No, they wouldn't. They would strike the answer because you're not answering it. Is he fit? You have your thing. Is he fit or isn't he? No, I don't have my thing. He's the thing. Is he fit or isn't he? You're talking about him being 80 years old. It doesn't mean that somebody could get elected. That's what he's saying. Yeah, we're talking over each other. That's the other. Governor DeSantis is not Ron, I think we have an opportunity to do somebody who is in the primary. Life. Yes. We don't have to no worry about no. all this stuff with Ron. confidence. Stop. We Sanders. can get it done. Stop. We'll do it. I'm going to come to you. Finish. Look, Father Time is undefeated. I don't know how he would score on a, on a test, but I know this. We have an opportunity to nominate someone and elect someone for two terms who's going to be spitting nails on day one and for eight years so deliver you, you big results. We should think. not nominate somebody he won't who's, answer. Who's, who's almost 80 years old. Okay. He's afraid to answer. <laughs> no, I'm not. He's, no, you have to no. either either you're afraid or you're not listening. No, it's not. There's a simple you don't, you question. All right, that's enough. We could go on with these shouting over of each other, and there were some points that Christie said that were interesting elaborating on that. But you know what? They were both obnoxious there talking over each other, but Chris Christie was right in that Ron DeSantis did not and would not answer the question with a straight answer. Now, of course he wouldn't because he knows full well that there's a big chance that Trump gets the nomination and he doesn't want to be asked the question, well, you said he wasn't fit for office, so why are you supporting him now? Well, because he's less unfit for office than Biden? Is that is that the response that he would say? I don't know. Who do you think won the debate? What did you make of some of the exchanges that went on? 303-696-1971. Let's go to Aaron in Denver. Good afternoon, Aaron. Hey, Jimmy. Uh, First of all, Chrissy looked like a standing job of the hunt. Fat, bloated, and spewing out Be nice. Huh? I said, be nice. Come on. No, sorry. Sorry, man. I mean, I mean, he's a rhino. Uh, but let's get to the let's get to the substance of what he said, not his physical appearance. Uh, d- doesn't matter. He he was a disgrace uh, saying that stuff about Trump. He uh, and his age and all that stuff. It, it was just ridiculous. Uh, Wait all, a second, the, though. Between, uh, the main person who actually talked about Trump's age more than. Christie, it was actually DeSantis. DeSantis was the one who primarily went on about Trump's age and it was talking about, what was it, uh, Father Time Never Loses or something like that. And he was uh, saying that Trump's too old. 
Uh huh. Yeah. Well, well, he can say that Trump's too old, but we have a current, a uh, so-called president that's bumbling, well, and stumbling, and Aaron, falling over himself. So. You're right that, about that, you're right about that. But right now, when you're in, Trump is. but you know what? By a few years, yes. But when what you know, Aaron, <laughs> is that this right now is a primary debate where you got four candidates on stage who want to beat Trump and be the Republican nominee instead of Trump. So of course. They're legitimate in bringing up the age. Quite frankly, I don't want two octogenarians running for president. There are a hell of a lot of Americans who feel that way. And I think that DeSantis's argument about Trump's age actually is resonating with a decent swath of voters. Yeah, but it won't be enough because Trump <coughs> excuse me, is way ahead in the polls. He's going to get the nomination. And you know you got and you got Christie pr- pr- promoting the book. You know he's not. You know he, uh, Jimmy. You have a better chance to get the nomination to be president than that moron. <laughs> and he's up there and he's up there promoting the book about uh, a, a book about uh, a Ronald Reagan, former president. And then you got the moderators calling Nikki Haley uh, a- ambassador. She's former ambassador. No, 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 no. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on a moment. Hold on a moment. Mm-hmm. If you have an interview with President Trump, you say Mr. President, not Donald, right? Not Trump. You have former members of Congress that run, former governors, former secretaries of state, former like Chris Christie, Governor Christie. You give them that title. She's a former ambassador, yes, but she has that title for life. I'm good friends with Ambassador Sam Zakham, the former ambassador to Bahrain. Every time I give him a call, I say, hey, ambassador, how are you? You know, I introduce. I so you know, you're. I think that's appropriate, and that's the respectful honorific. Well, th- that'd be saying like, oh, I'm talking to you, Jimmy, and you're and you're and you've left radio, uh, Jimmy. For uh, uh, sport uh, talk show host, Jimmy, speak, Jimmy. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, well, that was a job. Well, okay, yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, hold on. There's no title, job, Jimmy. There's no I'm title, but Aaron, listen, come on. come on, brother. I I don't have a title that comes before my name. Talk show host Jimmy Sangenberger right now that will uh-huh. and, and then will suddenly go. Wait, no, that's in my byline, not uh-huh. in my title. There's a there's a difference here. I well, think I'm, you're I think you're nitpicking a little bit there, I'm, Aaron. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's I'm sure Jimmy that's on your resume. <laughs> it's on my resume, but it's not before <laughs> my name. It's on my resume, right? Uh, I, but not before you know, my name, Aaron. Hey, I, I appreciate it, Aaron. I got to run, but I appreciate uh, the call, brother. Always do. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number to join in to the festivities. Uh, another bit about the debate. This is where I actually have to give Chris Christie some credit. Is that okay? Am I allowed to give Chris Christie some credit just for a moment? Because Vivek Ramaswamy is indeed the most obnoxious blowhard in America, and Chris Christie was right to call him out after he kept personally attacking Nikki Haley, and he does it with everybody else. This is the fourth debate, the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. I'm going to respond to that. I want to say something else. I'll take that. I want to say something else. We're now 25 minutes into this debate, and he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence, not her positions, 
her basic intelligence. She doesn't know regions. She wouldn't be able to find something on a map that his three-year-old could find. Look, if you want to disagree on issues, that's fine. And Nikki and I disagree on some issues. But I'll tell you this. I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's even started to vote in a Republican primary. <laughs> and while we disagree about some issues and we disagree about who should be president of the United States, what we don't disagree on is this is a smart, accomplished woman. You should stop insulting so her. So I'm going to take this. I'm sorry. There were several points in the debate where I actually was like, OK, good. Good for you, Chris Christie, for saying that. That is one example. There was another instance where later in the debate... Vivek Ramaswamy again went after Nikki Haley, and I thought that the way Haley responded uh, was with class. At the first debate, she said that only a woman can get this job done. That's what she said. After the third debate, when I criticized Ronna McDaniel after five failed years of leadership of this party and criticized Nikki for her corrupt foreign dealings as a military contractor, she said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And it actually needs to end. There's our donor puppet masters wielding their puppet right up here tonight. This is how this game is played. The puppet masters put up their puppet, and I reject the use of identity politics in this party. It has been a cancer coming from the left, and I'm sick and tired of the double standards the people of this country are too. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from thank criticism. You. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Governor Haley, would you like to respond? No. It's not worth my time to respond to him. You, you have been using identity politics at every step. She knows it's true, and that's why she's you actually hiding okay, from it. Sir? give you a response to the question that was to you? Okay. Look, I'm not one to throw out the term sexist, and, and there was only elements in that, but Vivek Ramaswamy has absolutely displayed sexism throughout these debates. I'm glad he's not going to be on the next debate stage. I think he's the most obnoxious blowhard. He is that, and I could say this as a millennial myself, he's that example of a smarmy-ass millennial who needs... To get taken to task, and guess what? That is what we did see from Chris Christie, just a little bit. And he's not going to get on the debate stage in the next one, almost certainly. And that is an instance where Nikki Haley can say, well, hey, at least I'm on this debate stage. You're not anymore. I don't know. Am I, am I being too harsh on, on Vivek? I don't know. I don't know. I think his idiocy takes the cake. 303-696-1971. Who won the debate? What did you make of it all? I think Ron DeSantis did a lot better this time. Let me just say that. DeSantis had been struggling quite a bit. Today, or Last night, he found his passion, his enthusiasm a little bit more, and his points flowed much better. Maybe it was last week's debate with Gavin Newsom that made a bit of that difference your thoughts text into the show give a call we'll be right back jimmy sangenberger here with you one more segment news talk 710 knus coming back little more clapton some clapton christmas as we continue wrapping up and winding down the show today news talk 710 knus one more live and local program in the 3 p.m slot tomorrow afternoon so be sure to tune in then 
And happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish brothers and sisters who are listening right now. I appreciate that. Um, we have such a great relationship together with the Judeo-Christian ethos. You know, this is something that came up the other day talking with Jeff Hunt, and then we had the Colorado Christian University event. Tremendous event at CCU. CCU for Israel. It was great, great show of unity between faiths. Gotta love it. So the debate happened last night. The big debate. Bill O'Reilly was... This is always fascinating. So News Nation hired Chris Cuomo. News Nation sponsored the debate last night. That's where the debate was on, as well as the CW. Man, it was interesting seeing Megyn Kelly back there moderating a debate. She was in the middle, too, at center of the debate moderator panel. But anyway, so Chris Cuomo was picked up by News Nation. They got him back after CNN fired him. And I always find it fascinating when Bill O'Reilly goes on with Chris Cuomo. It feels like it's a crossover event from CNN meets Fox News. But O'Reilly was on last night with Chris Cuomo, and he had a winner to declare definitively for last night's debate. Now, the winner of the debate, and I knew you were going to ask, uh, was DeSantis. (laughs) And the reason is that DeSantis tapped into the emotion that Republican voters are feeling when he went after the border and said, I would use violence against these cartel members. The border is the most emotional issue for Republicans. The economy is second. But the, the appalling state of the southern border today was a record number of migrants crossing. Christie was right on it. He won the debate because he was able to run down in Florida how he took on the progressive left and won. Haley came across as an establishment figure, okay? She's distant. She's not a culture warrior. See, look, okay, she's not a culture warrior. I don't think she's distant. I agree that Ron DeSantis was tapping into some emotionalism last night. DeSantis said unequivocally, yes, uh, I would do, he would take military action as far as the southern border against the cartels. He was pretty clear-cut uh, about that and has been. So, yeah, he tapped into some of these things, certainly the, the cultural issues regarding youth transgender surgeries, which to me is just, I, I don't understand how that happens in our Society with young people when you're 18 years old, okay, do what you want as an adult, but when you're a child, but regardless, that's neither here nor there in this discussion. He definitely tapped into some emotional points, but I I don't think that Nikki Haley came out in any way as detached, and I, I wasn't her best performance. She certainly did better in the last debate. That was the best of her performances. Uh, Ron DeSantis may have squeaked out a bit of a win over Nikki Haley. I think they were pretty close in terms of how they actually fared. They were on message pretty well. They weren't the ones who got into too many spats. You had a little bit of Chris Christie versus Ron DeSantis, but for the most part it was uh, Vivek and Chris Christie that were going at it back and forth on a few different occasions. But... When you're on the debate stage and you're making your points, you're getting them across, you're expressing them clearly, 
unequivocally, passionately. That's good. That's the way to go in the debate. And I think we saw that from both DeSantis and Haley. They were both very strong and on message. And I hope that it does turn out, as I believe it will, that it will be Haley versus DeSantis in the next debate. And that's it. No Chris Christie, no Vivek Ramaswamy, and you get to really see the two who are fighting for what some would say is second place right now or for the mantle of the challenger to Trump and get those two together. I think that's something that we would all like to see, most of us at least, would like to see that kind of discussion and engagement. And that would be an encouraging uh, development a little bit too not get distracted by the others. But it was interesting hearing O'Reilly talk about that, especially in terms of the southern border. O'Reilly was the guy on cable news for years who was sounding the alarm about the southern border on the Fox News channel. The only other guy who was more noteworthy for the southern border during the 2000s was our own former congressman, Tom Tancredo who was synonymous with it so much to the point that in 2008, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, he ran for president specifically to shine the spotlight on the issue of illegal immigration. And now, 15 years later, look how far we've gone and how we have failed to address that issue that Tom Tancredo and also Bill O'Reilly were talking about big time. Back in the 2000s, back 15, 20, 25 years ago. We're still not just talking about it. It's worse. My column tomorrow, we'll probably talk about it, in the Denver Gazette will be entitled, The Border Crisis Hits Home in Denver. And right here in Denver, some 30,000 illegal immigrants, mostly Venezuelans, and including families with children, have come here. It's cost the city nearly $34 million so far, including city-subsidized shelters and long-term hotel stays. And, of course, the federal and state governments have already reimbursed some money, but less than half. One of the big draws, though, of course, Denver is a sanctuary city. So, of course, it's going to be a magnet for people who are here illegally Because they won't have that fear so much of deportation. So come on over once you've crossed the border and the staggering numbers at the southern border are just stunning. We may talk a little bit more about that tomorrow afternoon. We've got one more live and local 3 p.m. show coming up tomorrow. Sebastian Gorka's third hour hits home on Monday. You'll hear all three hours of Gorka's program starting on Monday. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place, with more engaging, intelligent talk, Sang style, though right here on 710 KNUS. And, of course, Saturday morning from 6 to 9, tune in then for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, kicking off live and local weekends, News Talk 710 KNUS. Enjoy the nice weather still Well, it lasts, but hopefully we'll have a white Christmas. God bless America. See you tomorrow.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.